the scripture reading this morning will come from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. You may be saved. Good morning. When you think about your family, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? When you think about your love and concern for those who have your name, who live in your house, or who share a common lineage with you, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? When I think about my family, I always hope that they will prosper. I hope that they will be physically safe. I hope that things are well with them. But I will tell you that the foremost concern I have for my family is that they will be right with God. I don't say that because I think it sounds right. I say that because most of the people in my family I know are not right with God. And it grieves me to my heart. I'm sure many of you are like I am and that you make an effort to talk with your loved ones. You try to encourage them and you hope and you pray and you weep at times when they choose something other than to put God first. I'm sure you're just like I am in that respect. Everybody has their own will. People get to do whatever they want to do. That's what God has blessed us. He's blessed us to have free will and everybody gets to do what they want to do, even if what they want to do is not right. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes we can become discouraged when our loved ones are not what they should be, when they don't do what they ought to do. But I hope that you will think with me this morning about what we can do. I mean, listen, I don't get to control other people, but I do get to control the influence I have on other people. And to the extent that you know people, to the extent that you love people, maybe you have people in your own home who haven't decided, they they haven't decided to be where God wants them to be yet. I don't want you to lose heart. I want you to think. I want you to pray. I want you to have a plan. I want you to be active in doing everything you can to bring your loved ones to Christ. So this morning, we think for a few moments about Noah. There are a lot of things you could uh, notice about the Bible's account regarding Noah and the flood. You know, there are a lot of things when you go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 6 through chapter 6 through 9, there are a lot of things that kind of stand out for a lot of reasons, but When you look at the New Testament and its emphasis on the man Noah, you know, there's one thing that is repeatedly emphasized about him. Noah was warned of God of things that had not yet been seen. God told him, listen, the state of affairs as they are is going to come to an end. I'm going to do a thing that has never been done. I'm going to judge the world in such a way that it will never be the same. And Noah, having received that warning, the Bible says, He moved with godly fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Peter makes reference to this in 1 Peter and again in 2 Peter. And both times when he notes this, 
he says that Noah saved his house. He saved his family. Noah and seven others. Noah and eight people in total were saved on the ark of safety. Why? Because Noah, being warned of God regarding things that the mind couldn't even contemplate at the time, being warned of God, he moved with godly fear and he obeyed. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. And in the doing, he condemned all the world around him. And in the doing, he became an heir of the righteousness that is by faith. You can have an influence on your family. Yes, you can. But you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to listen to what God has said. You're going to have to move from where you are right now. And you're going to have to set the pace and be the example. And you're going to also have to you're going to have to open your mouth. There are three things I want to look with you this morning into the Bible. I want you to see about Noah. We ask ourselves the question, you know, how was he successful? How did he manage to save his family? How did he manage to have this kind of influence on those around him? And there are three things that I invite you to think about in this regard this morning. First, look in Genesis chapter six. If you look in Genesis chapter six, you'll see that this is where, of course, we're introduced to formally to the man Noah. He's mentioned in chapter five. But here in chapter six, we see a discussion about him and the kind of person that he was. The Bible says in Genesis chapter six, beginning at verse one, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the ground and daughters were born unto them. And the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and that they took them wives of all that they chose. Then Jehovah said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for that he also is flesh. Yet his he shall his days be a hundred and twenty day years. In verse five, the Bible says Jehovah saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented Jehovah that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And Jehovah said, I will destroy man whom I have created from faith from the face of the ground, both man and beast and creeping things and birds of the heavens. And it repents me that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Jehovah. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man and perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God and Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. The first thing I want you to remember is this. The Bible says that Noah walked with God. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 22 that his uh, great-grandfather had also walked with God, a man named Enoch. But as Noah is raising his family, he's doing that in an environment that you and I would say was an atrocious environment in which to raise the family. The Bible says the world was filled with greed and violence and wickedness, and in this environment, he has the three sons. You know, so sometimes we look at our environment, don't we? Sometimes we look at the world around us and we just lament that it's not what it used to be. Well, listen, it's always been bad. It's just a different flavor of bad. Noah had to raise his family in as corrupt an environment as the world has ever seen. 
but he managed to lead his family to salvation. We ask ourselves the question, why? The first thing we have to notice is that he walked with God. He stood out to God in the midst of all that corruption. The Bible says he was a righteous man. He was a blameless man. He lived his life according to the dictates that God had given him, even when those around him refused to do the same. And in that doing, he stood out to God. When God looked at the human family and he saw that everything was utterly corrupt, he saw Noah and he said, but this one, this one, he lives his life the way that I would have him to live. He stood out to God. Now listen, he also stood out to his peers in this regard. You know, everybody else had a different system of morality. Everybody else had a different system of values. Everybody else had a diminished level of respect for God, but not Noah. He stood out to his father in heaven. He stood out to his peers. He stood out to his family. The Bible says he walked with God. What does that mean? He lived his life in close communion with God. When God spoke, he listened. As he made decisions in his life, he looked to see how he could conform his life and his will to God's will. He loved the things that God loved. And he lived his life for God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You know, it's not possible for two to walk together unless they are agreed. Amos 3 and 3. And so Noah had to conform his thinking at all times to God's thinking at all times in order for him to walk in close communion and fellowship with God. When you saw Noah, you couldn't physically see God with your physical eye, but it was as if he and God were walking through this life together as intimate friends and companions. He walked with God. God saw that. The world around him saw that. And his family saw that. You know, I suppose it'd be possible for a person to have a certain public persona and allow their uh, friends and neighbors to see them one way, but I'll tell you something, their family sees who they really are. You don't get to go out into the world and be one person and then go home and close the door and be another and your family not know that you are a hypocrite. When we try to tell our families, whether it's our parents or whether it's our siblings, whether it's our spouses or our children, to be one thing and then we ourselves are something else, they see that and they do not respect it. Noah walked with God all the time. He was walking with God when only God could see. He was walking with God when the community could see. He was walking with God when only his family could see. It made an impression on God. I'm sure it made an impression on his community as well. Now, it may not have been a good impression for some of them, but it made an impression on his family, too. He was an example to his family. 
They saw him day in and day out be who God wanted him to be, even when no one else could see, even when no one else was looking. You know, Noah saved his family because he walked with God. And you and I can save our families if we walk with God as well. If we let them see the contrast between us and the rest of the world. I'll tell you something, and I tell you this as a person who did not grow up under the influence of the scriptures. I tell you this as a person whose family has seen him be something very different than God wanted him to be. When you are committed and zealous about being who God wants you to be at all times, it makes an impact on your family. You know, when I go home for the holidays, my family will sometimes remark to me how they can see the difference in the person I am and the person I was. You know, know, they loved me before and they treated me well before, but they respect me in a very different way now. Some people in my family drink alcohol. Some people in my family smoke cigarettes. Some people in my family do worse than that. They don't do it around me. Because they see how I walk. And they respect it. I'm raising two boys and my hope is that they will be among the greatest Christian soldiers that the world has ever known. But I can tell you this, they will not be that if they see a father who shows them a corrupt example, whether it's in public or behind closed doors. Would you like your family to be right with God and saved when this world's affairs are all done? Then you must show them what it means to walk with God each and every day. That's what the Bible says Noah did for his family. A second thing I'd like to mention to you is that Noah not only walked with God, but he worked with God. You see, here in Genesis chapter six, the Bible tells us that God says, listen, that the days for man are going to be limited to about 120 years. And he's not talking in that particular context about how long individual men will live. He's talking about how long the world is going to continue before he judges the world because of its sin. The world has about 120 years before I bring all of this to a conclusion. And God shares that information with Noah. He, he tells him that he's going to bring the floodwaters upon the earth and the earth is going to be destroyed. And so Moses gets that communique from the Holy One and he's got about 120 years now to ready himself and to do whatever it is that a person ought to do in that space of time when he knows that God is going to judge the world. 120 years. What does he do with that time? How does he occupy himself? Keep your finger in Genesis 6, but I want you to look at 2 Peter. I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 2. And as I mentioned to you, Peter makes mention of of Noah in 1 Peter and also here in 2 Peter. But 
But take a look at what he says in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse number 4. For if God spared not angels when they sinned, but cast them down to hell and committed them to pits of darkness to be resolved unto judgment. And by the way, in the, in the context, he's, he's making a point about false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2. I mean, he's just making the point that they're ultimately going to be condemned. But, but he says here in chapter 4 that, you know, God dealt with the angels when they sinned. And look what he says in verse number 5. And spared not the ancient world, but preserved Noah with seven others, a preacher of righteousness, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And then he's going to go on and give another example, Sodom and Gomorrah. But you notice what he says about Noah here. God didn't spare the ancient world. He, he preserved Noah, see it, with seven others. That's his family. He, he preserves Noah with these seven others, and he calls Noah in this passage a preacher of righteousness. Boy, what does that mean? What is that talking about? Noah was walking with God. He was upright in his own life. He, he lived his life within the dictates that God had set for him, but he also used this time when God told him the world is going to be destroyed. I mean, man only has about 120 years. Noah uses that time to preach and call people to repent and bring their lives into conformity with the will of God. He was a preacher of righteousness. Listen, I see what you're doing, and I just want to make sure that you're aware that what you're doing, it doesn't line up with what God says ought to be done. God is the master of everything that is, and we don't get to live our lives as if we have no accountability. I mean, you can do whatever you'd like to do, but there will be a time when God is going to judge the world for its corruption. And so I encourage you, repent and change your ways. Noah preached that message in a world that didn't care. For 120 years. Why did, uh, why did God give the world any notice at all? I mean, he would have been right if having created man and loved man and given man the proper parameters in which to live, he would have been right if he gave no warning at all but he simply rolled this world up like a scroll. He would have been right. So why did he give the notice that he gave? My Bible tells me that God is long-suffering. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He gives man 120 years of opportunity to change. He gives man 120 years of opportunity to come into alignment with his thinking so that man can be spared. That's what he desires, and Noah cooperates with him, works with him, having received this warning. He knows what's coming. He shares that with those around him. He's a preacher of righteousness in a world that didn't want to hear it. Anybody ever feel like sometimes the world doesn't want to hear it? That's not an excuse for you not to share it. It didn't stop Moses or didn't stop Noah from sharing it, even though the world didn't want to hear it. 
I want you to think about what this would have looked like. Day in and day out, Moses is interacting with the world, interacting with people in his community, maybe interacting with extended family members and so forth. And he's saying to them, you know, it's coming. I mean, the end of the world is coming. Listen, God is real and he is not pleased with what's going on. This is not going to go on forever. This is going to be wrapped up. I'm telling you, you need to make ready. You need to get your affairs in order. And people look at him and scoff at him. I want you to just think about what this looks like. You know, Noah has people over for a meal, you know, and he's got his family there and he has some people over for a meal. And he says, you know, listen, how's the lamb? How's the duck? How's the whatever we're eating? They probably were eating vegetables at the time. But just for example, you know, listen, how's the food? I hope it's enjoyable. You know, how are things with your family? Okay, listen, here's the thing. What are you guys doing to make ready for the end? Because I'm telling you, the end is coming in. And when he says that, here his kids kind of look and here goes the old man again. I mean, we can't even have anybody over for dinner. The old man wants to talk about the end of times. I mean, we can't even go out to Walmart. The old man's talking to the checkout lady about the fact that the end is coming. Nobody wants to hear that. He preached it anyway. He didn't know anything except that God is and the world is going to end and people have an opportunity, a finite opportunity to make right and be right and do right and that's what he wanted to talk about. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Alabama football? Or you're an Auburn fan? You want to talk about politics? You want to talk about whether or not we need a wall and all that? Or you want to talk about what matters? He was a preacher of righteousness. And I'll tell you something, I imagine that it got on some people's nerves. But his family saw that day in and day out. Now the old man's at it again. Let's go ahead and pull up a chair because he's going to be a while. He's got somebody in the corner talking about the end of time again. See, here's the thing. Noah preached that message 120 years. As best we can tell, no one outside of his household listened. You know, it's possible that somebody heard it and they they accepted what he said and they died before the time of the flood. But no one who was alive at the time of the flood outside of his family listened. Some people say, boy, this guy preached 120 years and converted seven people. That's not a great ratio. We Maybe preaching doesn't work anymore. See, some people reason like that. Well, this guy's a failure, right? I mean, he spends 120 years preaching the gospel and, and nobody who doesn't have his last name is listening. This guy's a failure, right? No, this guy's a hero. But that's the way the New Testament presents this man. If nobody else wanted to hear it, his family heard it, and they heard him try to share it with other people, and his family was impressed by that. So when the time came and the ark was completed and the door was open, they went in and nobody else. That's how he saved his family. You know, he opened his mouth. 
Maybe even when people got tired of hearing it. Maybe even when his children were embarrassed. You know, the old man, I can't take him anywhere. All I wanted to do was talk about this extracurricular activity. And the old man's talking. Listen, they heard it nonstop for 120 years. They couldn't help but be impressed by it. How much time do you spend talking to your family about the things that actually matter? You know, what's common conversation in your home? In your home. Would you like your family to be saved? What's common conversation in your home? Grades done, chores done. Okay, you're a good kid. Or is it common conversation in your home that God is, he is not pleased with the way the world abides and he's not going to accept it forever. So people need to make ready. Is that the kind of conversation you have at your dinner table? Because that's the kind of conversation that Noah was having. He preached righteousness. He called people to look at their lives the way God does and to make changes because he knew God wasn't going to change his mind. This thing is not going to keep going like this. God said it. He meant it. And Noah conformed his life to that reality. Are you doing that with your family? You know, I like to get together with my family. Listen, I tell you something. This doesn't matter, but my family has always treated me wonderfully. Everyone in my family, everyone in my family, my entire life has made me feel special. Always. Whatever they are and whatever they are not, I love every one of them. The only thing I really want to talk about, you know, this thing is not going to go on like this forever. You've lived the way you want to live for 40 years, 50 years, 80 years. You've done it your way. We really need to take a serious look at doing it God's way. That's the only thing I'm interested in talking about. So one day. And I've gotten these calls before. I'm going to get a call that someone is out of time. Their life has ended. I'm going to get that call. And the only thing that's going to come into my mind is that I really do everything I could to share with them the reality that God is going to judge the world and them included. Don't waste time. See, if you're serious, you want to see your family being right with God. Don't waste time talking about things that don't matter. You, it doesn't matter if it's uncomfortable. You get into what matters and you preach righteousness and you share that with people. And sometimes they're going to roll their eyes. So what? It's the only thing that matters. Noah worked with God. Here's the second thing I want to mention in this connection. Not only did he preach righteousness, you go back to Genesis chapter 6, not only did he preach righteousness, he preached that to his family, I'm sure he preached that to everybody around and his family saw it, but listen, 
God told him the earth is going to be destroyed and he gave this man an opportunity to cooperate in his own salvation. And the Bible says he moved with fear and prepared this ark. He gave him all kinds of instructions. Listen, you're going to make this thing of a certain kind of wood. It needs to be a certain length, height and width. I want you to pitch it within and without with pitch. I want you to put one door on this thing and it's going to have to have certain levels and so forth. And guess what Noah did? God says to Noah, the world is going to be destroyed. You have an opportunity to be spared. I'm willing to rescue you from what is to come. And these are my instructions. And what does Noah do? The Bible says in chapter 6 and verse 22, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded, so did he. See, he worked with God. He cooperated with God. Salvation was not going to drop down out of the sky like a bolt of lightning and save this man without his awareness or against his will. He had to do what God said, and he did what God said meticulously. 120 years, the ark was preparing. You know, his daily life looked a little different than... Uh, some of his neighbors. Jesus makes reference to this. Now, he's not really talking about Noah, but he makes reference to this in passing when he says that in Noah's day, people were, uh, they were marrying and giving in marriage. You know, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. They were living their lives just sort of like nothing was going on. And he says, while the ark was preparing, that's what people were doing. And Noah's life looked a little different than everybody else's because they were living like, hey, listen, let's just eat and drink and be merry. We can do this until the end of time. Well, guess what? The end of time is a real thing. And the end of time is coming down on the other side of the end of time is going to be a judgment. And Noah was preparing every day for that. He was building the ark every day, preparing for that. You know, the Bible doesn't say explicitly, but I mean, his family would have likely been involved with that, right? I mean, at a minimum, they would have seen that. He didn't build it all by himself. He's got these three strong boys. He was working with God. He was obeying God, specifically regarding the question of his rescue and salvation. He was listening and he was meticulously doing what God said must be done. In chapter 7, it says again that Noah did according to all that God commanded. See, listen. Noah cooperated with God. He worked with God. God wants people to be saved. And so Noah opens his mouth and tells people, listen, God wants you to be saved. You should make some changes. The end is coming. He's saying this over a continuous period of time and his family gets to see this. He has to make an impression on their heart. He is every day while people are doing all kinds of other stuff. Listen, they're going to the football game and they're taking the extra shift at work and they're goofing off and going hunting and going fishing and all that kind of stuff. He didn't have as much time for that because he was building the ark. And that's why when the time came, his family was able to go in. And when God shut the door, they were safe. And nobody else was. He worked with God.
if you want your family to be right, you have to let them see you day in and day out doing the things that God says a person has to do in order to maintain a right standing with him. They're not going to obey something you yourself have not obeyed. I don't know if you've seen this style of parenting, you know, where you sort of uh, you sort of send your children to church. You know, you send them to the assembly. You're not going, but you're sending them. No, that's not going to make it. That's not going to work. It's not going to work. They need to see you building the ark. They need to see you preparing for the eventuality of judgment and the world's condemnation. It's not going to be sufficient that you tell them, don't be like me. They will be just like you and they will tell your grandchildren just what you told them. It has to look different every day. For Moses, for Noah, it looked different every day. The last thing I want to mention in this connection is in Genesis chapter 8. In Genesis chapter 8, this is after the floodwaters recede. The Bible tells you in verse 18 that Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, whatsoever moves upon the earth after their families went forth out of the ark. Now listen to this. And Noah builded an altar unto Jehovah and took of every clean beast and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And Jehovah smelled the sweet savor, and Jehovah said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. Noah worshipped God. Noah was a worshiper of God. It wasn't just that he was a uh, good moral man. It wasn't just that he sort of abstained from doing the kinds of things that even the community would recognize as being lawless and unacceptable. It wasn't just that he refrained from engaging in behaviors that might gain him a bad reputation. Yes, he did comport his life to the standards that God had given. Yes, he did invite other people to do the same, but the Bible tells me that he was a worshiper of God. First thing he does, first thing he does coming out of the ark of safety is build an, offer, an altar to God and make sacrifices thereupon. Says a lot about his heart, doesn't it? This is the first thing he does. Says a lot about how he believed his relationship with God could be maintained in a right condition. It wasn't good enough that he sort of generally lived a good moral life. No, his life was to be punctuated by these periods of focused, intensive worship. I'm sure he was a man of prayer. I'm sure he was. But there would have to have been some times where the world had to stop long enough for him to focus and pray to his God. 
And I want to suggest to you that you have to be a worshiper of God. Now, we've talked about worship before, and I'll just tell you briefly, you know, the concept has sort of twofold. It has to do with a bowing down before the deity, right? It has to do with a falling down before lying prostrate, subjecting oneself to God. But it also has to do with blowing a kiss towards God or tendering a gift to God, making an offering. And I'm saying to you that if you want people to believe that God is real, that judgment is real, and that they need to make ready, it's not going to be enough that you're sort of a good moral person who sets an example of avoiding certain sins. That's not going to be enough. They have to see your intimacy. They have to see your worship. Have your children. Have your, has your, have your spouses. Your siblings. Have they ever seen you on your face before Jehovah? Have they ever seen you physically on your face before Jehovah? Now, I would pray that they at least see your spirit being prostrate. But you know what? If you're physically able, there's absolutely no crime in getting down on your face before the God of heaven and letting people who see you know that that's what you think about him. Have they ever seen you making sacrifices? I'm not talking about the uh, sort of casting in out of your abundance. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the writing of a check. You know, that's sort of an administrative ministerial act. I'm seeing, saying, have they ever seen you alter your life to make sacrifices to the God of heaven. If you want them to be saved, I think you need to let them see that because until they see that, it's all kind of theoretical. It's an idea. There is a sense in which our lives are worship offerings to God. You know, in Romans chapter 12, the Bible says that we are to give ourselves a, as a living sacrifice. That's worship language. There is a sense in which our lives are to be lived prostrate before God with our hands outstretched as an offering to him. And our lives are to be punctuated by the kinds of activities that we see in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Now, obviously, we're not building a physical altar. And we're not killing animals in sacrifice to God, but we do gather to worship the God of heaven and your family. They need to see that. Some people would look at Noah and they would think that uh, maybe he wasn't all that successful. But listen, there was never a man more successful. And I want you to think about something for just a moment. His sons are named, but we're told nothing else about them in this connection. His wife is not named. His daughters-in-law are not named. And we're told nothing about them in this connection. What we see is Noah as the focal point 
a man walking with God, working with God, worshiping God. And we see that his influence was such that seven people were saved with him. That should be our goal. We want to influence other people to be saved with us. And it's only natural. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. That first and foremost, we want our families to be saved with us. I mentioned the fact that uh, Peter makes, makes a mention of Noah in 1 Peter chapter 3. And he does, you know, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21, he talks about the fact that God is, God was being patient while Noah was preparing the ark and he saved Noah and those souls through the water. That is, the water was used to separate everything that offended God and it preserved them in the ark of safety. In the same way, the Bible makes this point, in the same way, Baptism saves us today. You know what baptism does? It washes away all the things that offend. It takes care of your sin issue and preserves you apart from that. Places you in the ark of safety, as it were, the church. This is the place where God puts all saved people, according to Acts chapter 2. If you want your family to be saved, you yourself have to be saved first. And that all begins with obedience. You want to walk with God, agree with God. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. Agree with God. Submit to baptism. Have your sin problem resolved so that you can be in a right relationship with God. And then you work with God, telling other people that they too need to conform their lives to his will. And you prepare yourself each and every day for the eventuality of God's judgment. And while we wait, while we wait, we live lives of worship. Every day, but punctuated by these, by these opportunities to gather and tender ourselves to God as we lie prostrate before him as a family. I hope that you see, listen, you can't control other people, but you can control your influence on other people. And we should be doing everything we can to help others realize that God has given the warning. This is not going to go on forever. And we're preparing for our salvation and the salvation of those in our houses. And I hope you'll see that there is a methodology here. There's something concrete you can do. Be the example. Open your mouth. Show people what it is to live an intimate life with God and invite them to do the same. If we can help you this morning, we would love to do that. We invite you to come as we stand and sing this song of invitation. Let us know if we can help how we can.